day and welcome to Fast Shit Performance. I'm Tim Davies. I've got another post out um, and I've got another post out because I got sent to an office job. But don't worry, it's not the end. I'm still flying um, back at Valley on the T2. It's just a part-time thing now. Well, part-time for both, really. So I said to the Air Force, um, I'd really like to leave now, please. I've done 17 years. It's been great fun. I've got to do something else. I've got to build a skill set. And they said, please, can you consider staying? Uh, please, can you stay on the Hawk T2? And I said, I really don't want to stay full-time on the Hawk T2. I'm over 40 now. Uh, don't get me wrong. Not many guys are flying fast jets over the age of 40 for obvious reasons. So... They said, well, look, how about if we uh, get you to do one of our essential task projects down uh, in Bristol, down south? And I said, well, that kind of will help me transition to industry maybe. So I'll do that. I'll do that for you. And they said, well, we'll only let you do that if you stay flying the T2. So I am a part-time fast jet pilot. I'm getting about 10 to 12 hours a month, which is a lot more than I was getting when I was a flight commander on the squadron, to be honest. When I was getting about five or six. So I am uh, flying. I've flown for the last eight days. Uh, now I'm about to go back down to the office. So pretty much spend about two and a half, three weeks out in the office uh, and about a week, a week and a half up here flying fast jets where I am now. So I've just flown today, done a couple of trips today, got to fly tomorrow as well. And then hopefully at some point next week, I'll go back down um, and do some uh, paperwork in an office. And to be honest with you, that transition is one of the things that I'm writing about in this new post. Don't want to hear me bleat on, download a podcast thing and you can just speed me up and it will save you time and it will uh, help you educate yourself faster, which is what it's all about. Okay then, so the new post, unfortunately, you should speed me up because this one was about 2,500 words. It's probably about 15 minutes, but I'll speak quickly. So the post is then, fast jet pilot gets an office job. Six tips for better communication in the workplace. So I've just swapped the cockpit of my military fast jet for a desk in an office. And whoa, am I learning about communication or the lack of it? I'm probably just not familiar with all the nuances yet. I mean, I've only been there a month or so, but I've become fascinated with the way people exchange information. And as I still fly a few hours each month, I've been comparing how pilots communicate with how it's done in the office. So communication in the cockpit first. This week, I had to check one of my flying instructors on his annual flying ability test. This instructor is one of my top guys and an ex-single seat ground attack pilot. His flying was excellent, but there was just something he did that caught my eye. You see, in a tandem cockpit, the only way you can communicate with the other pilot is through the words you use and the tonality you apply to them. You cannot see the other pilot. So unlike for airline pilots, body language is not part of the communication. You may have heard of a study about body language's role in communication. It states that nonverbal cues, such as posture or the position of the hands, are responsible for 55% of a person's communication. Tonality, 38%, and words, a mere 7%. But it's not true. Well, it's not exactly true. The study was done by Albert May Arabian, now Professor Emeritus of Psychology at UCLA. His experiments dealt with the communication of feelings and attitudes. So unless a person is talking about their feelings or attitudes, these percentages do not apply. Even though I was testing the instructor's flying ability and not his feelings, it has to be recognised that Mayrabian's study highlights some obvious truths. Your body language is a significant contributor in how your message will be received. So towards the end of the sortie, the instructor took us back to fly some circuits and I noticed that every time he selected the undercarriage or flaps, he would state what he was expecting the results of his selection to be as opposed to the actual results of his action. In aviation, we use the mantra of limitation, operation, indication, or LOI, whenever we move a switch or select a service. 
In this case, the instructor would say, speed below 200 knots, air brake in, gear down, as he selected the gear handle to the down position. The gear takes about six seconds to go from the up and locked to the down and locked position. And when it has finished traveling, the pilot visually checks the indication and confirms verbally three greens indicating or gear down. He would do the same with the flaps. Flaps down, he would say, as he selected the flap lever to the down position. Then he would complete some other checks, such as the brake pressures and nose or steering engagement, before returning to the flap position at the indication part of the LOI, stating the flap position as flaps down. During the debrief, I told him of my observation. Now, as many of you know, I'm, a I'm an ex-Tornado GR4 twin seat fast jet pilot and my crew resource management, or CRM, is slightly different to a single seat pilot's. And yes, they do still have CRM as they do have to work with other, formation, other members in formation. When you operate as a crew, however, a lot of the time, one of you will not be fully aware of what the other is doing. The words you use must be carefully formulated to deliver precisely the message you want. When you're fighting the jet at low level, maybe at night using complicated systems or over unfamiliar terrain, the workload can be exceptionally high. In these environments, a quiet cockpit is essential, meaning that communication both internally and externally needs to be concise. For this reason, my words had to be correct. Now, when I select the gear, I say speed below 200 knots, air brake travels in, indicating in, gear travels. Then I conduct some other checks before returning to the gear, checking three greens and stating gear down. I told the flying instructor that when he selected the gear down, he has only made a selection. The gear is not down. It is in a transitioning state. If he was to say on selection gear down and then omit to check his position again, as far as a busy guy in the rear seat is concerned, the state of the aircraft's gear is in the down position, as that is all that he has heard. Should the gear have failed the lockdown and it's not subsequently checked, then the results of this oversight, of course, could be pretty expensive. The words you use in aviation have to be concise and direct. The cockpit is no place for ambiguity. I once heard a story of an instructor who was teaching a foreign student to fly a loop. This involved pulling back on the stick really hard so that the nose of the aircraft can pass through the vertical without running out of energy at the top. But the student wouldn't pull back on the stick hard enough. Time and time again, the aircraft would stall and the instructor would have to take control. Eventually, the frustrated instructor lost all sense of professionalism and shouted at his student, look, I just want you to try and overstress the aircraft, okay? At which point the student selected the gear down at over 300 knots, well above its limiting speed. As the above examples show, it's important to remember that people don't always say what they mean. Let's have a quick look at communication in the home. So recently we had a couple of friends over for dinner, a casual affair and nothing formal. A friend of mine, Dave, not his real name, is going through a divorce and isn't having a great time, so we got him over too. Dave arrived at the house and when I took his coat he said, I'm sorry I'm late, everything after a divorce takes twice as long. My daughter couldn't find her shoes and the traffic was awful. One of the other guests responded, yeah, the traffic was terrible. I don't know why they insist on doing roadworks in the holidays. It was obvious to me that Dave didn't have to tell us about the divorce the minute he walked in. He could have just blamed the traffic or the shoes. But Dave wanted to talk about the divorce. He put it right out there when he came in, and why shouldn't he? He was going through a major life-changing event. He needed to talk about it. In the cockpit, as in the home, people don't always tell you what they mean, and if they do, we don't always pick up on what they are actually trying to say. 
Now it's the same in the office too. What people say they want to talk about and what they actually want to talk about are often not the same thing. Let's look at communication in the office and we are rounding up. Leadership communication experts, Dr. Laura Sokola says that executive presence, how you present yourself in the workplace is made up of three parts, appearance, communication skills, and gravitas. She highlights the importance of tonality and non-verbal cues and their use in complementing the actual words that are being said. She talks of a prismatic voice that describes how you might change your tonality when talking to different people yet retain your authenticity. For example, when she talks to a mature audience, she uses a mature sounding tonality. But when she talks to her three-year-old nephew, her tonality will change. Through it all though, she remains herself. She is not acting. She is just selecting which parts of her personality she lets through to ensure the audience's openness to her message. It's what differentiates the strong leaders from the rest of us. Adolf Hitler, Donald Trump, Winston Churchill and Barack Obama are all great orators who never lost their true authenticity when speaking, even when they altered their tone. When Margaret Thatcher was Edward Heath's education secretary, she had to take voice coaching lessons as she was frequently ridiculed by the opposition for her tonality. And here's a quote, the lady doth screech too much. That was from an opposition backbencher. She had to make her tone more authoritative in order for her messages to come across with maturity, but she never pretended to be anything other than the iron lady she was to become. On a military flying squadron, the pilots are all generally cut from the same cloth. Educational backgrounds are similar, as are other aspects such as sex and ethnicity. This is why arguments are rare and we tend to listen to each other when someone has a point. It's like talking to yourself sometimes. In fact, I had an argument with a guy today. But it was literally a two-word argument. I said, stop talking. And I walked out. That's what the senior rank does to you, I suppose. Um, as I'm finding out, this is not the case in the office. In the office... I work in is made up of many people from different backgrounds and with varying skill sets, education levels, expectations and aspirations. My office is split into many sections, including MOD, civil servants, civilians and various military personnel. Apparently, profanity is bad and people can and will complain about you. Interestingly, the first time that you find out you've upset someone is when your boss tells you and not the person you've upset. Here's a great quote. If you want the rainbow, you've got to put up with the rain. Do you know which philosopher said that? Dolly Parton. And people say she's just a big pair of tits. The legendary David Brent. Yes, I've been told to be less fast jet, which I take to mean less blunt with people. So here are six observations from the office to which I've applied jet pilot logic. One, clarify vague questions or demands. This seems to be quite common. People will task you with a notion or I think it might be good if we looked at this at some point. As we've seen in aviation, clarity is essential and frequently I have to say, what exactly do you want me to do for you? Or how exactly can I help you with what you need? Clarify demands. I'm not sure I understand what you're saying, so could you give me an example is another good way of enhancing understanding and minimising confusion. Two, every office worker has a communication preference. Find it and use it. Yes, people in offices can be very different, as I'm sure a lot of you a lot of you will tell me, pilots are not so different. As much as I hate this, I have found it saves a lot of hassle to find out a worker's communication preferences. I always ask, when I get back to you, 
Do you want a call, an email, or just a chat? Personally though, if I have to get information fast, I will go to that person's workplace and just talk to them. Call me old fashioned. It's like a smaller method of stalking, isn't it really? Unlike on a squadron, confrontation and being overly directive doesn't work in the office environment. But if you do have a grievance with someone, don't write them an email that they might misinterpret or use against you. Just go and speak to them. Most people are actually quite genuine and happy to talk. Number three, out of six, almost finished. Take care with your body language. In a meeting, if you're leaning back when everyone else is leaning forward, then you have detached yourself from the meeting. When it's your turn to talk, lean in. It shows that you are present and engaged. Mirroring body language or tonality can put people at ease. Now, Tony Robbins tells a story of being late to meet a high-flying CEO who, upon seeing Tony, got really angry and boisterous. The only way Tony could speak to him was to join him at that elevated level and then slowly bring him down to one that supported agreeable conversation. If your body language is all hunched up with your arms folded and your legs crossed, you are saying that you are closed. Nobody will have the confidence in you when you say that you can take on that particular piece of work. Number four, be honest. There is nothing worse than someone saying that they'll do something and they're not getting it done. I'd rather hear an, an, sorry, I'd rather hear an unable than a should be able. Set timelines and expectations. In flying, integrity is everything, and I trust my pilots 100%. Pilots tend to be blunt, as it saves time, although this can come across as uncomfortably direct or confrontational to the uninitiated. Use the if-then technique. Say, if you're going to be out of the office for a week, then could you give me a status report for a couple of days before you go? Or, please don't tell me about any issues if they're problems that you can fix yourself. Number five. Avoid verbal orders, but enhance direct communication. Now, if it's not written down, then it will get lost in the multitude of other distractions. Squadron orders are written down for this reason. Like pilots, new employees need boundaries and direction. They need reporting schedules with regular updates and guidance. Face-to-face -face chats are also so important in understanding whether an employee is able to follow your direction as a manager or if, as an employee, you are to understand what is expected of you. Six, my favorite one, and I'm sure a lot of people will agree, meetings are toxic. Do not go to any meetings that you do not have an agenda and a set of desired outcomes for. Because that would be a chat, that's not a meeting. Actually, just don't go to any meetings at all. They are normally just a way for your manager to show his manager that he is doing some work. I went to a two hour meeting that overran by another two hours. Can you believe it? Right, top tips for meetings. Don't have any, they waste everybody's time. If you absolutely have to have a meeting, set a timer. And when it rings, the meeting is over. Allocate time to each topic and stick to that time. Always have an agenda. And try and meet at the site of the problem because you can actually really point to real things then. End with a solution. Make someone responsible for implementing it and hold them accountable, but always end with a solution, even if it might not be the 100% correct one because it's probably the best one with the knowledge you have at that particular time. Does that make sense? Hey, these are just my observations and I've obviously had my head well in the clouds for far too long. So if any of you have some more tips on how I might survive the office, I'd love it if you kindly let me know below. And I really appreciate uh, you reading this. I'm just gonna talk about LOI for literally 10 seconds. For those that don't know what limitation operation indication is. Limitation, firstly, we check that we are in a flight regime where a particular service can be selected without overstressing it. Normally, this is a speed range. For the Hawk T2, the gear is uh, 200 knots. Um, the uh, mid flap or half flap, sorry, in the T2 is uh, 250 knots and down flap and three quarter flap is, um, is 200 knots there. So 
You've got to be below those speeds before you select that service. And once the service is down, you can't go outside that speed regime again. And normally it is a speed range. It can be a G range as well, but normally it's speed range. Operation, the service is, um, this is the, the service is selected. That's the part, the operation of the service. And then indication, we check that the service has functioned in the manner that we expect it to by checking, for example, that the gear has three greens or the air brake is indicating out, etc. Uh, and that is it. That is it. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to read this or listen to this, sorry, um, on the podcast. And uh, I do appreciate the comments because the comments steer me into the next post. And without them, I'm kind of a bit vague. Uh, well, I'm always a bit vague, of course. That's what we are, isn't it, really? Everyone's a bit vague. Uh, we just pretend to be focused, don't we? That's what we do. So if you've got any ideas, I really appreciate it. And um, comments, obviously, the Facebook, uh, Twitter, or um, the website itself is pretty good because I, I look at the website a bit more and I actually use the website comments to write um, a lot about the next post I'm going to do. So if you do have any post ideas, again, you think, hey, I'd really like you to talk about what air combat you're doing or or I'd like you to talk about how you plan for um, a, a low-level strike attack mission um, and how that relates to the office, because I'm sure we can do something like that, then, of course, I can do that. That is something. I'm trying to put the air combat video together, of course, at the moment, but it's very difficult to work in two places. But I've got a bit of film. I'm going to put some narration, hopefully another narrated video out there for you. Please check the YouTube channel uh, if you want to see some of those videos as well. Again, if you want to send me some emails, I, I read everything that is sent to me and I try and reply to everything. I can do that at the moment because I've just got enough that I can reply, but that might get a little bit um, uh, um, out of kilter in the future if I get too many. But I do read everything that is sent. I really appreciate that. Okay, well, Tim Davies, Fast Jet Performance. Take care.